welcome back to the Gen X Voice podcast. I'm your host, Trish the Dish, and we're here to destroy the stereotype that Gen Xers are just a bunch of slackers and Karens or that we don't even exist and bring our voice to the conversation as well as other voices in an attempt to destroy ageism. At this time, I'd like to thank everyone that's joined the Facebook group Gen X Voice. Um, you have made such a, such a fun time over there. Um, and I really want to thank Ray, Erica, Justin, Alex, Kristen, and Gail, because they are my top contributors. They're posting their own topics and having, uh, you know, extended conversations about some of the topics that are posted and, uh, adding this, which I thought was a pretty good, uh, topic, which movie best describes Gen X. So if you haven't done so already and you want to weigh in on which movie best describes Gen X, head over to Facebook, search Gen X Voice, and join the group. Also, you can always email me at genxvoice.com and let me know what you think about the show, and you'll also find all my social media. Um, I also wanted to give you guys uh, some info on some of the projects that I've been up to, um, and I'll post links to all of this in the show notes, but I was super excited to be a guest on um, the vodcast, the video podcast, uh, Nick and Russ Don't Know Anything, where we talked about politics and being Gen Xers, and then I was on the podcast Pod Jerky out of Canada with uh, director Awesome and my friend from the Blackbird Advocacy Podcast, Sarah, uh, talking about uh, United States misconceptions. Um, also, last Saturday, I don't know if you might have caught it, um, but if you aren't following my Facebook page, uh, do so now so that you can catch um, some of the live streams that I do. So last weekend, I did a live stream with uh, my friend Vicky about friendship. And Vicky and I are also going to be talking about sex for uh, the March Spring Break Pod V Con. And mark your calendars because that's going to be the 13th of March, 12 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. This week's guest, Tony, is a fellow Gen Xer and podcaster. His podcast is called Gen X Perspective, and I'll be putting a link to his podcast in the show notes. Um, but we're going to talk about wilderness therapy, being latchkey kids, and how Gen X is working to use words to express their feelings instead of yelling, which was such a huge part of how we were raised. Lots of yelling. So um, I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Tony. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. Um, how are, how's it going with you? Things are, um, you know, aside from COVID craziness in New York State, which um, is a whole nother level of crazy, um, it's going pretty good, you know. It's uh, running my own business. Doors are still open, and you know the sun is out today for the first time in about fifteen days. So, um, oh my gosh, you're... we're like exact opposite because <laughs> um, I'm in Arizona where we're basically the hot spot. We we keep we keep battling y'all for being the hot spot for COVID, and um, and we're actually overcast today, like. <laughs> it's insane like there were even some sprinkles i felt on wow. my face when i walked my dog a minute ago um i think they were sprinkles i mean i'm not really sure what rain feels like anymore but <laughs> <laughs> wow that's nuts yeah it's um yeah if you need vitamin d um northern new york is not the place to hang out um <laughs> for, for that at all and uh i, I where are you exactly so um Basically, you know, you say New York and everybody figures New York City. Okay, well, fair enough. But the whole rest of the state. So if you're standing in New York City and you point yourself basically north and you keep walking till you can throw a rock and hit the Canadian border, that's about where we're at. So north of Syracuse, north of Albany, north of Buffalo, you know, everybody kind of knows where Buffalo is right now because of the whole football thing going on right now. But we are way up. Lake Ontario, kind of almost even north of Lake Ontario, we're at the end of Lake Ontario and on the St. Lawrence River, which is um, the largest, you know, freshwater seaway in the country. And we are literally 
on the other side of uh, my apartment. You can look out the window and see Canada. Wow. <laughs> so way up there. Yeah. So I've been on the St. Lawrence River when I was a French teacher and took my students um, to, um, to was it, well, to Quebec. Yeah. Um, and did like a little tour. I think, I, I think it was when we were in Quebec city. Um, and it just, uh, the bloody, the bloodbath that was the St. Lawrence river during <laughs> some, some wars up there. But, um, wow. So you're even more North than like Woodstock or the Catskills. Oh yeah. Yep. We sure are. We're, um, kind of where I'm situated in Clayton. We're on, you know, if I got in the car and drove, I'd be about 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe max from the mouth of Lake Ontario. So if you get in the car and you kind of drive northeast some more, you would hit the uh, the Adirondacks and the mountains up in that area. So, Oh, I know about the Adirondacks because there's, since I am not at being adventure right now, <laughs> I'm not doing any adventuring because I'm really mindful about the... Uh, 92, 95% capacity in our hospitals. And <laughs> yeah, one of my right. friends is a nurse and I've watched her have a few breakdowns. Um, I watch YouTube backpacking videos <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's pretty fucking awesome actually. And one guy that I follow in particular, Syntax77, um, he's in the Adirondacks Adirondacks all the time. Nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, he does like snow backpacking in there in the winter time, and yeah, um, crazy stuff. When I was younger, of course, it's now it's just too cold. I guess I'm just too much of a sissy anymore. But well, he's not much younger than we are. I think he, I think he hit forty this year. So I don't know, but I, I, I'm with you though. But I'm an Arizona kid, so. I even though I went to school in Flagstaff where you get 100 inches of snow a year. See, Arizona right. has the same kind of stereotypes that New York does. I'm actually going to be on a podcast um, the day after we record this um, called Pod Jerky, which is out of Ontario uh, um, with a with a New Yorker friend of mine, and we're going to do some. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, myths of where we live. And oh, so sure. everyone thinks Arizona is just a desert, but in Flagstaff, you know, we get a hundred inches of snow a year. And, right. You know, I had no problem drinking a handle of tequila and, <laughs> and camping. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Oh man, I can't do that now. <laughs> if, yeah. it's, if it's under 48 degrees, I'm just like, it's a little rough. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. And I, you know, everywhere I've lived has been the same myth when I would lived in Oregon, everybody, you know, thinks Pacific Northwest and rain and overcast. And I lived on the East side of the Cascades in Bend, Oregon, and the sun's always out there all the time. And that's where I spent the majority. The first half of my adult life was in basically in Oregon. And I, when I was a kid in high school, it was Southern California and California is kind of the same thing where, well, California is California. That's there's a lot of freaking people there, but you know, just if Camp and it's Pendleton was yeah, if Camp Pendleton wasn't in Southern California, it would be solid city from San Diego all the way to north of LA. And I was living in Orange County for a long time when I went to high school, elementary school, high school was in Southern California, and that was kind of the same thing where we actually lived in Orange County, California, and lived in the mountains. Which people are like, "What are you talking about? There's no mountains there." Well. They're not kind of mountains. They're more like foothills, but everything is so condensed right along the ocean because that's the place to be. There's all that rural area, you know, you go 20 miles inland, 30 miles inland, and then it's rolling hills and then turns into mountains after that. We're just all crammed right on the water because that's where everybody wanted to be forever. So every state's been like that. New York, Oregon, Oregon's the same way. It was crazy with the Cascades. Once you get on the other side, it was a totally different world. Yeah. And I've, I've lived in all those places. So I, I concur. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I actually, I actually moved from, um, Portland to Phoenix. That was my last, my last big hurrah. I think this might be where I land uh, at 40 something years old, you know, like, um, I think I've been here about six years. I like it. It's, um, before COVID, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty avid backpacker, which is why I'm so excited to have you on Tony, because <laughs> you had a pretty amazing, um, sort of, uh, life change that occurred to you 
um, yeah, backpacking has been, yeah, it's been a huge part of my life for a long time. Um, for sure. Which uh, is, uh, I, it set me on the path. Yeah. For 15 years of work and everything else. So, so how about you tell, uh, tell the listeners how in the world, Oh gosh, sometimes I just get so excited when I talk to my guests, I just completely skip the most important question, which is what year were you born? And what generation do you most identify with? Which is a duh, because wait till you guys hear. Yeah, right. So 1973 and yeah, Gen X for sure. (laughs) Especially because you are the creator and host of the podcast, Gen X Perspective. Correct. Gen X Perspective that I'm um, still working at getting off the ground, you know, half a dozen or so episodes and we're working on it. So it's a. it's definitely a labor of love and I'm excited about how the uh, growth in that is happening. So yeah, all about Gen Xers and, uh, you know, can't get away from the cargo shorts and, uh, Oakley sunglasses, <laughs> I suppose I've uh, pigeonholed myself there. I'm, I'm more of a Ray-Ban person. Um, personally, uh, I kind of stuck with that, that kind of, you know, I mean, I did have my Oakley's police who did not. Sure. Um, but so, so yeah, so you mentioned a little bit about, um, about this in your podcast of be- becoming sort of wildernized. Yes. <laughs> no, so, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how it happened. So I was a product of, um, you know, uh, being in high school, you know, I graduated in 92, so late 80s, early 90s, and kind of that whole, you know, generation of excess. And I was a latchkey kid. Parents were divorced. Everybody's working all the time. And, you know, when you're left to your own devices and, uh, you know, you either make really good choices or really bad ones. And I, you know, it was way more fun to make the bad ones. And um, I was pretty out of control as a teenager and um, just out of sheer um, determination and a lot of luck. And I'm, and back then there wasn't really an option to not graduate high school. You had to graduate kind of attitude back then. I graduated high school and then within, I don't know, it was probably a year within less than 12 months. My whole life fell apart. I was a total disaster. I wasn't in college. I tried college kind of um, just short of homeless. My parents were ready to kill me or disown me or both. And, um, I ended up getting shipped off. Um, and I had to, and, and again, I'm kind of a unique situation. I was 18 at the time. So I actually had to make the decision. So I inherently knew that my life was totally screwed up. Um, my parents shipped me to Montana to, uh, what was at the time referred to wilderness therapy. And um, not to be confused with uh, what a lot of people equate to a boot camp where um, the, and the big difference without getting into the politics behind it. And you got to step back into the 90s as well as uh, we were um, boot camps were more drill sergeant instructors screaming at you and wilderness therapy was more um, people talking to you for lack of a better term. And there was more of a heavy therapeutic component instead of a behavior modification component. So it was hippies versus yeah, military. Totally. Hippies. The people that were keeping track of me and making sure I didn't, you know, freeze to death or get lost in the woods were hippies essentially at the time um, that were lost as well, looking for a job that could keep them being hippies instead of turning into adults really. And, uh, and I did uh, somewhere North of 120 days um, in Montana in the woods with a group of other kids. And, and that was what it was. It was really an amazing experience. It, it opened my eyes up to, um, kind of, you know, so back then it was pagers and there weren't cell phones yet. Um, for the kids, essentially they were just starting, you know, they were the big bricks. So, you know, being attached to your pager and your leather jacket, and I was kind of a metal head and that whole identity behind that. And, um, and it kind of opened my eyes up to other possibilities. So after that 120 days, um, my folks, the last thing they wanted was for me to kind of come back to California and maybe due to um, some uh, entanglements or possible entanglements with law enforcement, if I went home, um, I 
went to Oregon and went into, at that point, an independent living program for young adults, which was basically a, we're going to kind of teach you how to transition into being an adult, go to college, move on with your life, stop being a dum-dum, kind of all the parts you missed your junior and senior year of high school. We're going to reteach that to you now that your eyes are kind of opened up. So I went and did that for a year. And, um, and that was, uh, we're living with a bunch of, you know, young 20 somethings. I, I think the oldest person was probably 21. We were really between 18 and 20, 21 at the time. And it was also continuing on kind of that therapeutic model. I had had 120 days under my belt of backpacking in the Cascades mountain range. Um, we did another 30 or 45 days while I was in that program um, also in the Cascades. So I had, I had a ton of time backpacking under my belt at that point and then graduated that program and kind of quickly got into the family business, kind of moved on with my life. My daughter was born at that time. So I'm kind of jumping into about 21 years old at that point when my daughter was born and then, um, and went back to California for a couple years and that was the family business. So I spent a bunch of time being a wilderness kind of junkie at that point because that was kind of my, I was kind of turning more hippie wilderness, kind of hanging out, doing, you know, living kind of more of a natural lifestyle. Went back to California um, and got my license to become a hairdresser because that's the family business to throw a whole nother monkey wrench I never even told you about in our previous conversations. No, I was... but I heard I heard about it in your um, podcast. <laughs> oh, sure. But okay. wait, I feel like yeah. I, I just have to ask though. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's just pause for a second because there's a couple things that I just need to wrap my mind around because <laughs> we're talking about a family from Orange County. I have family um, from Orange County, um, because I, I did, uh, about sixth grade to, to, till I graduated high school in Joshua tree, California. Okay. So I know all about the OC before the TV show even. Right. And, um, before they I just, all. Right? well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what came well, first to be honest, Tony, well, but we were, yeah, we were cool. And then they just messed it all up, but yeah, that's okay. Because my family, dear family that's listening, I love you all, but you were so different than me. Very um, consumer driven, very much about the Uggs and the makeup, you know, caked on. Whereas oh, totally. we were still pretty granola-y in, in Joshua Tree and very grunge, right. um, you know, oriented. But so how in the world did your family... I mean, were they already pretty crispy granola-y and natural? Like, how do you how do you send a troubled youth to Montana from the OC instead of like Betty Ford Clinic or yeah, something? Yeah, kind of. It's my dad. So my dad grew up in upstate New York in Rochester, not too far from where we live today. Um, and we run the family business. We're together now. And um, he grew up um, hunting, fishing wilderness being outside and when he moved and when he moved the family to california he never lost that he went out there to grow his business make his fortune you know kind of back in the day and never had any intention of kind of the biggest thing about my parents including my stepmother years later as my parents were divorced was my dad, especially super grounded, you would meet the guy and you would think that he didn't have two nickels to rub together his entire life. Just super down to earth, never got wrapped up in the whole California thing as a boomer was, I mean, he could play the game and do whatever he needed to do, but he was always kind of the stable force. And that was a huge problem with me at the time. <laughs> but now looking back on it, it was what why he knew that this existed and why he knew that that would be a good thing for me to ship me off to the woods when, you know, you'd rather go to, you know, most of the kids down there, if you were a, a drug addict or a troubled kid, you'd get shipped off to boarding school or to the Betty Ford clinic, so to speak, or whatever. So he, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a Californian, um, out of our entire family. The only person that identifies as a Californian is my sister. She's 10 years younger than me. She was born in California. And so she holds that badge proud where I'm, I consider myself a New Yorker and was born here. And that was How it. old were you when you moved to California? About 12? I was six and it was on my sixth birthday, 1979, the day of my birthday, April 19th. Oh, 
that's right. I'm going to edit all the parts yeah. that I get wrong of your podcast <laughs> out. We got on a plane <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> out west. And I'll tell you, the coolest thing about California at the time when you're six years old is I went and the first thing I realized, cartoons every day of the week. <sighs> Right. I, I, I remember you saying that. Yeah. yeah. Whereas when I awesome. moved from now, I lived in California for a bit around Pismo Beach when I was about oh, three or four. Like I remember being on the um, beach. Yeah. Um, but we also I was born in Albuquerque. We lived in Texas, Oklahoma, <laughs> um, Illinois, Utah. Like, oh, my God, my mom was a hippie. And um, so when we moved from Illinois, when I was about when I was about um, 10, or 12, sure. I guess that's why I wanted to project that on you, um, <laughs> where we were riding our bikes on the sidewalks and climbing crabapple trees and, you know, walking along railroad tracks yeah, totally. to Joshua Tree, California, which is light years different than the OC, um, right. where it was like, there are no sidewalks, or at least there wasn't in 1988 or 87 <laughs> or 80, you know, 87. And like, uh, there was no grass, no trees to climb. You don't, you don't right. climb a Joshua tree you know, or a That's yucca. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like that for me, it was like, uh, like uh, Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. We didn't even have cable <laughs> like some of the like so i lost mtv you know right, <laughs> like yeah, um right, yeah, there was a lot funny. of uh it was it was man it was hard i cried i cried when i saw that that mojave <laughs> desert i was just like no yeah that would be brutal at that age i i oh I yeah would have not done well at that point in my life for sure but so, so then, okay. So I'm sorry, before you go into like the hairdressing stuff, <laughs> the other question I had was how do you, I mean, how, okay. I just really, really want to like dissect this. Cause I'm yeah. such a backpacking nerd. Like how in the world do you at 18 years old, I mean, everyone, probably lots of girls have read, you know, mm -hmm. wild and, you know, there's born to run. There's all these really great, like outdoor stories, but you hear about blisters and the pain and the bruises and like overpacking your pack. And like, <laughs> I mean, how in the world do you as an 18 year old, just like hike a hundred miles in the wilderness? Yeah. Having so never done that before. It was brutal. Um, but, it, and that was really where the, the instructors that were with you kind of came into play. So it was all about um, learning by experience. So they would let you you know, and, and nowadays they probably wouldn't let you, I'd have to go back and reach back out to some colleagues that might still be in the industry. But back then they would let you get blisters because you had to learn how to tell when you were getting a hot spot, which is pre blister. And then how to, you know, if you got a blister, how to treat it and deal with it and how to take care of your feet as a good example, because backpacking, your life really revolves around your feet more than anything. Cause if those aren't working, you're in big trouble. And, um, and so they kind of let us, uh, they, they'd let it go just far enough to get that life lesson in a safe environment. Um, unfortunately, and that total, and I haven't thought about this in years was, um, one of the kids that was with me when I was in Montana. So pre Oregon, um, he was younger than I was. He must've been, if I was 18, he was probably 15 or 16. So a young kid. Um, he thought the best way he could get out of the program. So again, these kids were coming from all over the world or all over the country, all walks of life, all sorts of problems. Um, mine was kind of more behavioral. I was just a punk. This young man, um, was at night. He was, uh, he figured he'd get out of the program by getting uh, frostbite. So at night he would fill his gloves up with water and then let his hands freeze. And he almost lost his hands over that. When we discovered it, and I happened to be sitting there when the instructors discovered that he was trying to do something or they were asking him to open a lid or a jar or whatever it was at the time, and he couldn't do it. And they said, just take your mittens off real quick. And he wouldn't do it. And then they finally said, take your mittens off. He wouldn't do it. They took his mittens off. His fingers were black. And um, Oh, my God. Wait a minute. Wouldn't you want to show everyone that your fingers are black if you, that's how you're trying to get out? Well, at the time, he wasn't. Uh, well, who knows? So if you're, if you're that desperate, you're probably not thinking totally clearly. 
And scared so, and scared. Yeah, totally scared. And so he thought he'd get out of the program by doing that. And um, well, he did kind of. They immediately medevaced him out, took him to the doctor. They realized that it was more, although it looked horrible, it was not frostbite. It was frost nip. Um, and he did have heavy peeling and did lose some skin, but didn't lose his fingers or the dexterity in his hands. So in and, and again, so he could grip some poles. <laughs> now, re, again, this is in the winter in Montana. This wasn't the summer. I guess I didn't clarify that. So, it was yeah, I, I was going to piece that together. Yeah, like, that was, is uh, some brutal shit. They well, just that, were like, yeah. okay, it's December. Go backpacking <laughs> yeah, in totally. Montana. That's right. So, that year was the coldest winter in like 14 years um, in the U.S. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but where I kind of remember it, and my dad was telling me this and my parents afterwards, was they were pulling outward bound trips. They were pulling uh, Boy Scout groups. Every Anybody and everybody that was in the woods were getting pulled out of the woods that winter because of how cold it was, except where I was. Wow. <laughs> and we were snow igloos. And I mean, we were living in the snow in Montana. We're Negative 100, negative 40, negative 50 degrees. What? What? Oh, this is not, yeah. this is not what I was picturing you. Yeah, no. Yeah, not, <laughs> no not, oh, my God. Not a bunch God. of kids coming Kumbaya hiking in the woods being happy or, or angry kids becoming happy. We were learning how to survive in um, pretty adverse conditions. And we thought we were in the middle of, now, caveat, we thought we were in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we were. We were in northern Montana in a town outside of a town called Knoxon, Montana. We thought we were, as kids, thousands of miles in the woods. And really, we were about, you know, one ridge line from the town or from a road where there was a car park and they had radios and they were talking to the staff regularly. And you learn all that afterwards. But we thought we were really like 100 billion miles in the middle of nowhere. And we were, you know, one ridge line over where you couldn't hear the car traffic. And not that there's a lot in northern Montana, but, you know, it, we really thought we were out there in uh, way out there on our own. And we weren't. So it was pretty crazy life. Yeah. Life lessons really quick. You know, don't keep your gloves dry. You get cold, frozen hands. And um, you learn to take that kind of stuff um, pretty seriously, pretty quickly. And it was, uh, yeah, it was rough. <laughs> so I had a friend um, who was from, I want to say, Connecticut that did a sort of um, very similar to what you did. Um, and and I met her in 96. So mm -hmm. she would have done no. this around 94. It sounds about the same same time that you did, sure. which is why I was, I was really excited to have you on the show because I, I was like, I didn't realize that this wilderness survival for sort of to use, for lack of better words, bad kids yeah. was like a national thing that was happening because – man, I wish I would have been a bad kid to be thrown into something like that. Like, <laughs> but I mean, I was made um, on a camping trip. So yeah. like camping has always been, um, and being outside and has always been a big, big part of me. But I guess because I, that is such a big part of me, it wouldn't have probably done much for me except for just like, can I, can I live here forever? Yeah. Um, what, <laughs> what, um, which actually kind of happened to you. So happened to me. I, yeah, the, the roundabout as I ended up doing it um as a career but um but yeah, when was it, the shift not. what when was the shift though did you did you feel a shift in like because because you know and not to fast forward too far sure. because you did go back to the oc you did um become a hairdresser which is is so glam rock of you by the way i think that's like <laughs> oh, amazing yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. yeah velvet shirts and leather pants i mean oh yeah I was yeah, hoping you'd say that, Tony. Yeah, um, that, all, but like, that all happened after the granola, yeah, wilderness. How, yeah. how in the world, like, I mean, did you feel a ship? Did you just, or did, or was it just like you wake up one day and 10 years later, you look back on your life and go, oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, Do you know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you. It was, so when I moved to Oregon, and, uh, you know, so 19, 20, 21. So those three years right in there when I went to independent living program and I was. And, and you're talking ages, not years, because yeah, we yeah. have to we have yeah, to make sure I'm we glad. say that in, <laughs> in our lifetime. So, yeah. Um, the, the mid 90s when I was in my early 20s, 
Um, after getting and graduating that independent living program, I stayed in Oregon. I stayed in Bend. That's where I went to school to become a hairdresser, but I was working there and living there. Um, my daughter was born there. Um, and I made a group of friends, lifelong friends there at that very short three year span. I met and I'm still friends with the same group of friends, most of which still live in Bend. Um, and so I had a really, I was really grounded in Oregon. I went back to California and kind of left that to pursue the family business at the time. And that was what I thought I was supposed to do. So it was kind of more out of obligation in my, in my own brain. It, it had nothing to do with my parents. They didn't care if I was in the family business at the time or not, but I felt like I needed to do that. And it was really the best decision I ever made at the time. That's how I met my wife that I'm still married to today, which is huge. Um, and she's a huge part of my life. And, and how I ended up back in wilderness therapy was directly related to meeting, marrying my wife. And then basically I conned her into moving back to Oregon with me. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a there's that piece. So I met her in California. Yeah, her in California. Actually, I met her in Vegas, but that's a different story. I met her in the hair industry in California. She was living in Colorado. I was in Oregon. We met at a conference in Las Vegas. We were introduced by a mutual friend. And then I essentially um, figured out how to hire her and bring her out to California. And she did. And then I, uh, soon after that or within a year or so, we ended up dating. And then I proposed to her soon after that at a Christmas at her parents' house and Colorado. And then I talked her into moving to Oregon. And what I didn't realize at the time was how hard to be an adult in Oregon was to be a granola hippie backpacker kid that didn't own anything. It's a great place to live at the time. To be an adult and try to buy a house and have a career. Just to pause you right there, I I missed the fucking window in Portland, <laughs> you know, because yeah. there's that, that whole joke from Portlandia that that Portland um, is where the 90s are still alive. I mean, and it was created by Gen Xers. So Fred Armiston yeah. and Carrie yeah. Bernstein are both Gen Xers. And that was the joke in the 90s was that Portland was just this mecca. And every time I visited, it was like great music, great food, just great so everything. laid back. Just yeah. great everything. And Love then um, and, and so all my friends, it was like a mass migration all my my friends in in Flagstaff <laughs> that that like portaled there. All my friends from um, Springfield, Illinois, that portaled there. All my friends from New York City yeah. that like portaled there. And but I kept missing the boat. I was like, oh, I'll get there. I'll get there. I'll I got some there. other That's shit right. to do. Yeah. That's right. And then I got there, and the year was. And you're gonna laugh when I say this. It was like 2013, 2014. Wow. Completely. Yeah. The window was closed, man. Not it was just filled. And again, I, I I don't want to, this this podcast is meant to bring generations together, but, <laughs> but it was filled with millennials who had no idea because they yeah. were all transplants. They had no From idea California. what us Gen yeah. Xers were. Yeah. And yeah. Arizona. Yeah. That, that we were, why we wanted to go there to retire at 30. Yeah. Um, so it, you're right. Yeah, like being, bad. being a professional, like I couldn't find a job teaching, um, even after 10 years and a master's degree in teaching, like it was brutal. It was yeah. brutal. So that's kind of what happened to you folks. It was totally, we were going to go open a hair salon up there and stay in that industry. And we got up there and started, you know, you start crunching the numbers and how many, you know, uh, not to get into demographics, there was just too much too many hairdressers to, to carve out something that was going to make a good living for us. So I was really struggling. My wife went and she rented a booth at a hair salon and started teaching at the local uh, cosmetology school. And she was doing that. And I was lost and unemployed essentially. And I replied to an ad in the paper um, to work at a local wilderness therapy program. I saw the ad, talked to my wife. I'm like, you know, well, you know, I'm totally out of shape. I haven't done this thing in years, but it could really be a cool job at least to figure it out so that, you know, we could figure something out. So I took this job and it started, I was a driver as a transport driver. I took the food out to the kids. I had, I had minimal interaction with the kids when I started and 
and that started the path for wilderness therapy and working in that industry. So I was, I did that for almost 15 years working in the industry. So started at the most basic of jobs, you know, no, you know, no degree. Uh, and so I knew I would never be a therapist unless I went back to school. Um, and kind of just started in on the logistics end, working on the vehicles, working. And then I started working with kids during their intake. So when kids would come in angry and upset, I'd be part of that team to kind of transition them and get them out into the woods. And, and over the years, I worked my way up in one company, which ended up going out of business, transferred. I was one of a couple other people that got hired at the competing company in town and did that and worked my way up from basically a driver transport person i became a field staff so i was working with kids and i did that for a number of years and i liked working with younger kids so i worked with 10 to 14 year olds young young little ones i liked the little guys because i felt like they were still kids yeah no that is by far i, I from from going to high school teaching to counseling in elementary school man they yeah, yeah they're just the best but tony i've got to got to pause you again cuz i'm really curious i'm sorry i'm just uh you know obsessed with this wilderness part yeah. of your life yeah, 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 um yeah. i'm curious what it was like as an adult that sort of healed from whatever trauma brought you to your original path um, in, in, in seeking, you know, solace in the wilderness to now being a a sort of mentor of sorts, like um, how, what was the difference? How was that different for you? So at the time I didn't initially realize it. So when I got my first job working in wilderness therapy as an adult, it was, um, it was purely out of necessity and I could relate and they were going to hire me because I had experience. It wasn't until years into the industry that I, it, it was kind of this awakening um, over, I mean, it was multiple years and, and there's still mentors in my life that I'm connected to through that industry. You know, there's this crazy guy that still works. I think it's called Inner Path Works, Randy Russell. Um, he still works in the industry. He's kind of this, um, he does a lot of Native American style rites of passage with young men now, primarily. Um he kind of some of these really amazing people along this path that I had, um, I, I realized at some point, and I don't remember where in the journey it was. It was pretty early on when I started working with kids again, where the kind of the light bulb went off and it was like, wow, I'm giving back to an industry that saved my life. And, and it was kind of an epiphany at some point um, within the early days of the, the process. So where it started just as true necessity and needing a paycheck it quickly turned into a passion and a and a, a legitimate attempt at a, a meaningful career where I really felt like I was making a difference. I was helping kids and I was helping an industry in a in a kind of noble way that helped me um, when I was at my lowest. And that was kind of always the take that I had um, as I kind of progressed in my 15, 13 to 15 years in that industry, as I progressed through it, that was always kind of my, my compass and my guide. And uh, what was the most important to me was, you know, I had to wake up every day and realize we were doing something good for some, some kids, you know, young adults that were struggling and needed to find their own path. And I, and I knew it with my eyes wide open that for some kids, it was going to be a huge success and this was going to be a life changing thing. That was going to be the most amazing experience for them. And some kids, it was going to be something that they were going to be in therapy for as adults and how it ruined their life potentially. But it it was going to be a, a, it was going to be a noble cause to, to help you know, these kids that were, that I saw, you know, so I'm a Gen Xer, right? So we're Gen Xers, we're kind of growing up and now we're seeing this kind of next generation of these really broken kids that were, you know, and again, we, every generation. So my dad said it and the greatest generation said these damn kids, they just don't get it. You know, it's that whole thing where we're the next generation and we're seeing kind of the pitfalls in a different way. And it was, um, it was, it was a, a visceral kind of emotional calling at the time. And, and that's what kept me in it. And that's what, why and how I think I thrived in that industry and started at the most basic of jobs and turned it into a career 
where when I left the industry, uh, I was a field manager of 15 programs across the country and was traveling and was traveling all over. So, and you had a TV show. Well, yeah. And that's kind of (laughs) that. If you take a pause in the middle of that career and you throw me on ABC for, I don't know how many episodes we had 10 episodes or 12 episodes of a hit television show called Brat Camp. And we were, um, yeah, it was crazy. That was that crazy. Um, and so- I'm so sorry, Tony, that was my anti TV period. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was really, I was like in a punk band. I was yeah. like, um, so I'm like this crispy granola raver grunge punk rock hippie yeah. person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was just the path I was on. Yeah, totally. So I didn't even know. I was like, that sounds familiar, but, um, yeah. but I didn't, um, but, but, but what, uh, what a crazy <laughs> journey to, yeah, to be controversial, but yeah, it was, Oh um, yeah. It sounded like it. So, uh, for the listeners, they can totally hear about, that on your um on your podcast yeah. Gen X perspective totally um good. and and yeah. totally recommend that because because um this was like in the infantile stages of like reality TV sh- TV we and docu yeah, docu drama docu reality television show where you oh didn't my God. you didn't get voted off and you didn't win a million dollars you were just right. there on television and that was the whole and the premise to that was was where uh, the only reason I got involved with that it was being filmed at the company I worked for. But the only reason I got involved with that at the time, again, if we're talking about this noble kind of cause was the owner of the company asked me privately said, look, I'm going to interject you into the middle of this nightmare because this television show cannot affect or interact with these kids. And I can't be out there and I need you to be the buffer. And I, you know, basically I was the, um, you were the granola police. Yeah, really. <laughs> and, and, and when all was said and done after that whole ele- television show experience, I felt like the, that production company um, held true. Um, I mean, there was, of course, editing and things were taken out of order, never out of context, but out of order. Um, they didn't influence the kids. They were never left alone with the kids. They couldn't communicate with them. And we really felt like we did it the best way you could possibly, possibly do it. And then have a production company, you know, put music to it and take it and take the order and change it. But the kids, I mean, I I reached out to a couple of them a few weeks back. I'm still in contact with a couple of the kids that were in that program and in that show. And they're all doing well for the most part. Um, at least the ones I kept in contact with, um, you know, just like life, not everybody you know, goes a straight line, but they're doing well and well-adjusted adults now because you know, they're all adults. So it was um, a crazy thing there in the middle of that. You know, it's really crazy. Um, you know, you were talking about that moment when you sort of realized, oh, this is the next generation that happened to me when I was 28 the first time I stepped into a high school classroom to teach French and I wasn't much older than them. Um, (laughs) Do you ever think it's kind of weird that they are kids of the same generation that our parents are? I mean, well, I guess I should ask this. Are your parents considered boomers or the silent generation? Oh, they're total boomers. Yeah. So same. And so, you know, how our generation is this, Tiny little marginalized. I mean, <laughs> the, the interview I'm going to do after you is um, with a, a couple Gen X uh, girls that have started Gen X Women. And, um, you know, I think they quoted 65 million. Um, and and, and wow. so we're, we're all, which isn't a lot, but it's still a lot. I mean, that's yeah. more than the population of Portland, Vegas and Orange County. Yeah, by far. I mean, <laughs> by, by, by far. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's like, why? Like, why now do you think, Tony, like why or not? No, let me backtrack. Why is there such a difference between Gen X and millennials when the same generation has raised us? Right. I, you know, honestly, because I I spent so many years working in the industry and working with kids. What I saw in, in our biggest challenge was, and, and they talk about it now and they're almost cavalier about it now um, as just kind of the norm was that, that change in technology, 
um, a couple of things happened as we grew up. So we invented video games, basically the older versions of us did. Thank you very much. And it was kind of the rise of normalizing uh, video games um, for us because I was working with at-risk teenagers. There was a, a violence component, you know, kind of troubled kids, you know, outbursts and attitudes. And, you know, they were probably overly medicated, a lot of them in the early days on Redolin and all that other garbage. And uh, we noticed technology was shifting these kids from, you know, for us at the time was, you know, okay, just look up for a second, just look around. And, 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 and it was the infancy of what we see today as the norm with all people. Everybody's plugged into their phones, looking down at them. Well, that was just kids back then. Parents still used phones. It was utilitarian. It was a flip phone and uh, they used it to talk to people as this emerging thing called texting and we were watching it happening live on these kids and the shift that the parents couldn't identify with or deal with or understand, not even in the, the wildest of realms where Gen Xers, we were kind of, you know, I had my daughter when I was 20 years old, so I was still able to, I kind of grew up in that with her as well and understood it. So I kind of understood what was going on a little bit more, but I, it was really kind of the shift in, in technology and the internet and speed of information. It was just, so much of it, they're available all the time. You know, I remember being a kid, if you were to learn about something, you had to go to the freaking library and find a encyclopedia. But I think, I think you've touched on something really interesting. And that is because you're right. There are, there are a, f a lot of Gen Xers that had kids relatively young. I have a few friends that have had, that had kids um, when they were 18 or 16 or right, even 14. Yeah. Yep. And um, because teenage pregnancy was still a thing back then, I don't know what the, what the stats it. are now, but I know that sexual activity among young people has significantly decreased. Um, so our generation was still um, sort of having teenage pregnancies. But um, the thing is, is that if you're a Gen Xer raising a millennial versus a boomer raising a millennial, you're right. You have a little bit different understanding of the movement of the technology that's happening because we were kind of seeing it unfold as as we were sitting in our computer labs in fourth, third grade working on an Apple IIe computer or going <laughs> to, right. you know what I mean? Like going and seeing Dragon's Lair, the most amazing video game ever at the arcade. Like no one had ever seen a video game like this ever. Right. Yeah. Um, to, like you said, like us creating games like Grand Theft Auto and Mario Kart and all of these, like, like we, but we still had this sort of desire to be outside. And man, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine going to a bonfire in the middle of the <laughs> desert. I don't know what you guys did in OC, but sure. what we did in, in Joshua Tree in the JT uh, is we, uh, you know, we just went out in the wilderness and got drunk or got high and just like had bonfires and looked at the stars. Like we were, we were still really attached to that. Whereas that's not really what boomers were doing. Boomers weren't in those both worlds. Right. We were as kids in, in Orange County, you know, it was more, you know, more concrete jungle, you know, hanging out with your friends, especially during high school age. You know, I mean, it was going down to the beach and hanging out, bonfires on the beach for sure. And my group of friends that we were. Oh, my God, Tony, you lived we like the dopest life ever. That's like <laughs> the life we dreamt of in the desert was like, we we're going to go down to L.A. Yeah, hanging out on when, the beach. When I got my driver's license every month, I would be like, who's going to the beach with me? But you actually got to do those bonfires you on did. the beach. Yeah. And, and fuck, we dude, I'm so jealous. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, it was always the biggest thing is when you first got there, the two guys, the two biggest guys had to be the ones that agreed to grab the keg because you we couldn't afford to pay, you know, to not get the money back on the deposit. And um, whatever older brother or sister that did it for us was like, you know, under penalty of death if you lost that keg. So there'd always be two <laughs> dudes running down the beach or wherever to get away from the cops that were trying to chase us because you weren't supposed to be doing that kind of stuff then. Oh, my but. God. So as a SoCal kid, which which beach or was it just whichever? Well, it was... um. So in Southern California, I was in 
No, it was totally, I was in, I was Orange County, Mission Viejo, El Toro. So we were more Dana Point. Ah, I love Dana Point. Yeah. So Southern Orange County more, um, yeah, Newport Beach a little bit, but the further North you got the kind of the more snooty they got. Dana Point was still kind of really mellow and kick back and, and San Clemente. Yeah, it was, it was awesome back then to do that stuff and. So is that why you kind of got a little sort of lost oh in your youth is is because you were like in this sort of surfer beach? Yeah, yeah, part um, of it, it was totally the stereotypical problems of being a kid in the 80s and 90s in California, really all over. But I'll say California because that's where I was. My parents both worked like crazy hours. They were divorced. My friends were about two and a half to three years older than I was. Um, and I was... I wasn't in public high school. I ended up going to an alternative high school because I was the first generation of kids to get um, diagnosed with dyslexia. That was when that was, that was yeah that was when that was a new thing that they were just kind of recognizing as an actual problem that kids were having. So I ended up in this school, and it was small. So I hung out with older kids, and although a couple of them I'm still friends with. Uh, two of them I'm still friends with and keep track of and we're, you know, crusty old adults now, but they were older than I was. So I was doing things at a younger age that I probably shouldn't have been doing drugs, partying, drinking, just being a teenager, but I was ahead of myself. And so that led to excess, um, not, not to the point where I ended up in a situation where I'm, um, had to be clean and sober, but I was being a teenager that was partying way too much. And that's what led me down the path to end up in the woods as a 18 year old with my life totally torn apart because those guys all graduated a couple of years before me and they all ended up going to college or getting jobs. And I was kind of lost. So I lost my friend set at that time because things changed so drastically. I was still in high school. They weren't. And I just kind of got lost really. And, um, and then I just didn't figure out how to get myself out of that hole by myself. I just kept going down the rabbit hole deeper. <laughs> so your daughter, did you and your wife, Oh no, I'm sorry. Your yeah. daughter is not of Correct. your wife. She's of a partner before right. that. Um, and you had mentioned in your podcast that co-parenting was kind of, that's a very Gen X yeah. thing where every Gen Xer that I know that is divorced is like maybe not besties with their ex, but they're definitely compassionate, um, caring, and co-parenting. We did. Yeah, it was. We were straight up. um, So we were dating. We were hanging out. We were the same kind of group of friends. And um, and my daughter was born. Mia was born. And and so we tried to make a go at staying together and doing the responsible thing. That's when I kind of went and got a job. And I, and honestly, if my daughter wasn't born and I tell her this all the time, I would have ended up a pot smoking scuba diving instructor in the Caribbean somewhere after following the dead for 10 years. I mean, my path totally, it would have been totally different. I mean, you know, I was still, you know, punk rock, I, you know, I, you know, was in that a little bit, you know, and just, I was living that life of, you know, See, Gen X loves all life. music. That's right. Yeah. No, there was, <laughs> I, I, at the time I had to draw the line at country, but even now, be, probably because of my wife, I've, I've lightened up on that a little bit. I won't admit it to her, but uh, I have, I tolerate it pretty well now and enjoy some of it sometimes, but yeah, I would have had a totally different life, but I, you know, I had that strong got to raise this child, got to be a responsible thing. And, um, and yeah, we didn't last a year after she was born. We stayed together the entire pregnancy. And then with any, by her first birthday, we weren't together anymore. And so two kids having a kid never got married and, uh, we figured it out. Um, she ended up soon after that dating a guy that she ended up marrying that she's still with. And it took me a little bit longer, but I found my wife and got married and we're still together. And so we have these four humans that essentially that were tied together by, um, this little, this little baby essentially. And, um, we raised her as a community and yeah, I mean, of course I didn't always see eye to eye with my daughter's mom and, didn't like some of the stuff she was doing. And I'm sure she thought I was a total douche sometimes too. Um, 
but we figured it out. And my daughter went through, of course, she went into wilderness therapy because she was kind of a punk as well. Totally sent her to a program. Um, you know, I pulled in some favors and because I, honestly, I couldn't afford to send her to a program. That's a whole different subject about how expensive those programs were at the time. But I ended up putting her through a program. She did 30, 45 days, I think. And um, she got to experience that. And it helped her kind of readjust as well. Um, and then she ended up um, having my grandson a few years back. So she had him when she was 21 or 22. 2020 actually. So she had her son young as well. And I, I'm so happy for her that he is healthy and everything is wonderful. I wish, you know, as all parents that she would have waited, but you know, whatever she did what she did. And he's an awesome little dude and they're living in Oregon still right now. But yeah, we co-parented and every decision again, we didn't always get along, but yeah, we did it. And they're just, to me, there just couldn't be any other way because my parents fought wicked and it was horrible. Their divorce and their leading up to their divorce, different generation. They were both from, you know, Italian Catholic, Italian New Yorkers. They didn't know how to communicate Oof. other than throwing things and screaming at each other. So, right. Well, I feel like the, the age of, um, screaming now, I mean, this is a generalization because obviously child abuse still exists. Um, domestic violence still exists, but I feel like, um, and I, correct me if you think this is wrong, but I feel like we've, we've really evolved into the society where we have words now that explain, like, I never used the term anxiety when I was younger, having a fight with, you know, a significant other, but now I can use that. Like I have anxiety when you do this action and it's like, oh, I get what you're saying. We didn't have like the vocabulary to communicate. I feel like in, um, or at least the, the boomers that were raising us, I don't feel like they had that kind of vernacular that we, we have in today's society. And I don't know if we can thank our generation or millennials for that. Um, I kind of lean toward millennials because they really are about talking about their feelings and, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and really making sure that it's understood. I don't know yeah, what do you think I'm, about that. My take's probably a little bit different um, only because of living, coming back to the East coast and coming back to a very rural community um, compared to living in Oregon which is very, very liberal in Southern California, which actually Orange County, when I grew up there, was very conservative. It was It's kind of the last bastion of, I'll call it just for fun, the Republican stronghold in California is still Orange County. Um, not as much as it probably was naturally back in the 80s and 90s. But um, so I've kind of gotten to see the, the West Coast... Uh, it's you know well I'm I'm gonna upset somebody I'm sure but it's it's the coasts are totally different and and rural versus uh, metropolitan are t just so black and white to me and I've lived in both one foot in both my whole life and that's because of my parents and it's been I find I totally agree with you in in a lot of cases that nowadays uh, well nowadays is totally different from uh, what people tolerate and and. And, and how they communicate is very different. Um, I don't know if it's better or not. Uh, it's definitely different. Um, right. Right. That's a good point. It may not be better, but it is definitely different. It's definitely but, different. And, and I yeah. think there's a lot of good comes from being, uh, to having a higher standard, like better versions of ourselves. Right. I think that that's really one of the things that I struggle with, with politics right now is there's, there is totally, there's better versions of ourselves. We have to hold ourselves to a higher standard and, and you shouldn't shortchange yourself or somebody else because of it. And that's exactly what, uh, where I totally agree with you is there's yet we can communicate better. We can get our feelings out. We can be more respectful. We need to open our ears and close our mouths more, listen to people. And, and I think that that's just it's lost in so many ways and, and we really got a good dose, a four year dose of what it's like in a lot of rural, crazy rural communities where people are just kind of the flyover states that they talk about. There's so many, much of that is still, is still like that. And it's not because it's bad 
worse or better it's different and that's where people i think have lost the word different and they call it you know they won't tolerate it or whatever and and you know you shouldn't ever tolerate being yelled at or being abused verbally or physically for the love of god but it's um it's definitely different for sure and i found that because I grew up with my parents yelling and communicating that way, because that's how their parents communicated and so on and so forth. I found that it, I didn't want to do that with my daughter um, and raise her that way. And I was very cognizant of that growing up. And, you know, of course I'm working around a bunch of therapists all the time and you kind of just try to live that lifestyle um, the best you can. And you kind of, you know, you kind of got to drink that Kool-Aid and believe it if you're going to walk that line. Cause the first person to call you out are those kids if you're not being honest and being real with them about who you are. So, man, Tony, I just want to say this conversa- conversation couldn't have been more perfect than what I imagined it would be with you. But unfortunately, we're really nearing the end of the podcast. So I want to give you an opportunity if you if you so desire to plug your family business plug sure. your um, podcast and all, all your social media. I sure will. So um, if you're a wine drinker and um, you know, you want to check out what happens after 15 years of wilderness therapy. Um, now I, um, I create uh, libations for adults now is probably the nicest way to put it. So we have a <laughs> run winery in upstate New York called Coyote Moon Vineyards. And you can find us on the web at coyotemoonvineyards.com and uh, Facebook, Instagram as well under the same moniker. And then um, if you're interested in uh, the podcast, which is kind of the labor of love um, that I'm trying to work on these days. is Which on isn't Facebook. far from what I'm doing on my podcast. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's a lot of fun. And again, yeah, well, we could keep talking, but it's really an outlet for living in a small town where you can't always speak your mind. So, um, and you'll hear that in my intro on my podcast. So on Facebook, it's at Gen X podcast, Instagram is Gen X perspective. And uh, my Twitter feed is at Gen X underscore podcast. And then I have my website, uh, Gen X perspective.com. And that's also the name of the podcast, genxperspective.com. And you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, I'd love to uh, I'd love to have you all check me out and uh, give me your feedback. Tell me what you think. Yeah, definitely subscribe, leave a review, rate it, sure. help Tony get, get his podcast moving. Um, yeah. And, you know, just so excited. I think... And like I said, yeah, we could talk for another hour, but hour. it's just, Easy. it's, yeah, totally. it's right. So much it's just that I wanted to talk to you about. We so haven't even much, but I was it. like, yeah. oh, but wait, I want to know more about this. And so we'll have to just have you come, come back on, you know, <laughs> yeah. or, yeah, or, sure. or, uh, have me come on your podcast or however that looks. So, but, we'll do but the we'll one, do both. yes, the one thing that I just want to end with, um, before we go into the rapid, rapid fire questions uh-huh. section is yeah. it is so fucking awesome that Gen X has finally decided to speak up, share their views because we've been just fucking living and doing our thing and just kind of staying under the radar. Yeah. And it's not that we, we, we had the grandparents that were from the silent generation. We had the boomers who were like, you know, some of them were involved with Woodstock and the peace and love. So what an interesting thing. And then, and then we've watched these millennials just scream into megaphones. And we're like, whoa, 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 folks. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just, I'm so delighted that um, people like you are also putting content out there on behalf of our generation. So awesome sauce. Okay. So are you ready for the rapid fire section of our, of the podcast? Okay. Here we go. You're going to answer rapidly. What is your favorite memory from childhood? Probably riding my BMX bike with um, cards taped in the spokes to sound like yes. a motorcycle. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's hardcore. Yeah. God, I, I wanted a BMX or a Sigma. Do you remember the Sigmas? Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. those were dope. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What is your favorite 80s band or musician? Oh, so uh, two, Metallica and Motley Crue. For sure. Yeah, you said you were a metal guy, and um, That's right. okay. What's your favorite <laughs> '80s movie? Depending on my age, I think it started with 
it, it, it balanced uh, Breakfast Club and Goonies for totally different reasons. Yeah, yeah, same, yeah. same. Yeah. Um, so you didn't go to college. Why didn't you go to college? I did. I went to the College of Hard Knocks. Oh, uh-huh. yes. <laughs> Thank and you why did much. you choose that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, after you flunk out of college for the third time, you go to vocational school. And that's kind of when I decided to be a hairdresser and went to school and did that instead. So I guess so. I should ask then, because I apologize, because you said, well, I didn't go to college and get you know this degree. So I guess I should ask, why did you go to college then? Because I have several Gen Xers come on and say, Hey, it wasn't for me. Yeah. So college, the reason I tried college three times and, uh, was because that's what you're supposed to do. Your parents wanted better for you because most of them were kind of worked their way up. A lot of them didn't have, like my dad never went to college and he, yeah, he started with, you know, yeah, broke parents and struggled his whole life and decided that he was going to be part of that, you know, that uh that boomer you know excess money success wealth he was going to go after all of it and he succeeded with all of it god bless him and and uh yeah college wasn't in the cards <laughs> i thought i was supposed to go eh, no I worries wasn't. man sounds like you did a dope ass life regardless um Thank you. so um Tony, if you had advice for any generation, either to get through the bad times or just life advice in general, what would that be? So the um, something my stepmother used to say all the time, and she's passed away a few years back. She was this very, we'll call it down to earth, yet very elegant Southern woman. Um, she always used to tell us when everything was crazy in my life and whatever was going on, she'd always say this too shall pass. and it couldn't be any more true than today. This too shall pass. I like that. And and folks, mm-hmm. you need to listen to Tony because he knows what he's talking about. I mean, he was in the wilderness for <laughs> all these years. Awesome. Well, Tony, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Indeed. It was my pleasure. It was a great, great hour and what, eight, 10 minutes or so. It <laughs> <That> was awesome. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. I don't want-